So if you thought Rabbi was coming back this week, psych! <laughs> All right. So part two, 101 what? If you missed last week, uh, we talked about, well, we talked about some American history that most people don't know, at least not in my generation, um, or has been forgotten. And I use that as a kind of a segue to say, you know, if 248 years, give or take, of history has been lost, how much more 3,500 years of biblical history and how that can affect a society when we don't know where we came from. And so what I talked about last week was, you know, all of the, well, not even all, it was just a couple of black heroes of the revolution that brought us this nation. And the fact that we don't know about these people is what I believe set the stage for all of the problems we're dealing with now. BLM, 1619 Project, Aryan Nation, KKK, all of those I think are, are rooted in the lack of knowledge or the unwillingness to accept our history, that there are key figures in our history that we owe a huge debt of gratitude. But that that also segues into our faith in Messiah, our faith in the God of Israel. It affects how we train our children. Um, you know, one of the things that I saw what, being in the Hebrew Roots Movement, and I don't encourage it, and please, for the love of all things sacred, don't Google it. But um, not, not, not a healthy, by and large, and I don't want to throw everybody under that umbrella because I'm sure there's some good groups there. But I have not experienced it. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Um, one of the things that I saw that was a major, major problem in the Hebrew Roots Movement is they did not educate their children. There didn't seem to be any reason to do that. It was just keep the Shabbat, keep the festivals. Uh, you're kicked out of the group if you have uh, relations out of wedlock. You're kicked out of the group if we catch you working on Shabbat and things like that. Really, like no mercy. Um, and then it was even the wrong interpretation of the scriptures. So what I saw in that was because we didn't know, we didn't understand the context of the scriptures, when we then tried to apply it in our little group or whatever, it was absolute mayhem. And one of the major, major problems, if not the major, was we didn't understand it ourselves, so how are we going to teach our kids? And I'll say this, I have yet to have seen a single uh, group or single uh, even person in the Hebrew Roots Movement whose children continue, not one. And I have been across many states trying to find a congregation when I was single and then when we got married, trying to figure out how to, how to blend in. And I think that's, that, was the, that was the reason. We didn't understand, so we didn't teach our children. So last week... We talked about the fact that uh, Deuteronomy is written differently. When God's giving the commandments in Exodus, we have Moses giving them in his own words, and there, there are differences in the way that he words it. And what we learn from the sages, and, and I think practical application, is that when a teacher is teaching, they're going to change the delivery just a little bit. They're not going to change the message. You don't want to do that. You're going to change the delivery. You're going to put emphasis on certain things because you know your student and you know what will resonate with them so that they can then cultivate their faith. And it's not just the faith of their fathers. Like, uh, like uh, was it uh, Isaac said, 
if you do this thing for me, you'll not only be my father's God, but you'll be mine too. He was making the faith his. But we have to work on the delivery of doing so. We have to teach. And to do so, like we talked about last week, as it says in the Talmud, one who reviews his studies 100 times is not comparable to the one who reviews his studies 101 times. So why 101? Because the idea is that you only have to review it 100 times. But if you want to do it one more time, I want to make sure I got it. Is it really rooted? Do I truly understand this concept that you're trying to teach me? So can we just do it one more time? One more time. I want to make sure I've got it. And that shows the zeal of a student that wants to make sure that not only they can walk out that lesson, but that they can also pass it to the next generation. And I really believe that that's what Shalom Macon is, is working towards. And I think, in my humble and unbiased opinion, we're doing a pretty good job. I really do believe that. Now, does that mean that we stop working at it? Absolutely not. Does that mean that we are flawless? Absolutely not. But uh, one thing we cannot do is just bicker and not fix it. So we should work towards that. But uh, so then I, I talked about last week how we would be talking about how this obedience that's talked about uh, in last week's Torah portion, where we have the Shema, where God says, look, if you, if you walk in my ways, I want you to do this. I want you to make it something that you talk about when you lie down, when you rise up. You, want, you need to teach your children. It needs to be on the doorpost of your house and your gates. You need to bind it to your arm. You need to make it a frontlet between your eyes, which is where we get the, uh, we get the tefillin. We get the mezuzah. You're supposed to make it a part of reality. It is how you think and it is how you behave. But God goes a step further. As he said in Exodus 3.8, he said, I've come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and money. I, I mean honey. <laughs> so Deuteronomy 8.7, which was last week's, no, it's this week's. Um, he said, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley. You had me at wheat and barley. Uh, vines and fig trees and pomegranates, the land of olive trees, of honey, a land in which you will eat without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you will dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Not too shabby. Land flowing with milk and honey. So our parasha this week is Ekev. Ekev means and because. Um, as you might know, the, uh, the Torah portions are named uh, generally by the first word in the portion or the next to first if the one is just really redundant, like Vayomer. <laughs> so Vayomer, that would be like every Torah portion would, would start with that. So everybody would be like, which one? So, <laughs> but uh, Parsha Ekev begins with the words, And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep you, or keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless 
the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain, your wine, and your oil, and will increase your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples, and uh, there shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock, for the Lord will take away from you all sickness and none of the easel, easel, evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew, will he inflict on you, but he will lay them on all those who hate you. Sounds okay to me. <laughs> so we have, last week we talked about that we had the first part of the Shema, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Eloheinu, Hashem Akkad, um, but we also have the second part. So in, in a traditional prayer service, the morning, um, you, when you prepare for the Shema, of course, you have your talit. You know, if, you're, if you're a Jewish man, you to fill in, and you're, you know, you're in that, you're in the holy of holies. You're, you're entering into the holy space, and it's where you make that declaration. And why is that declaration important? I mean, in English, it doesn't sound all that incredible. Here, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, how's that? How's that special? Well, the Hebrew word for here is Shema as you, many of you know, and it doesn't just mean to hear. It means to hear, maybe even kind of wrestle with a little bit, work it out, and then do. To understand and then do. So it's not enough to just hear, because listen, my kids hear everything I tell them, and they do about 5% of it uh, without threat of pain. So obviously hearing isn't sufficient. <laughs> And we're all the children of God, so we're not that different. Uh, as God keep remind, keeps reminding me every time I think about grabbing that switch for my kids, he's like, eh, 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 you want one too? <laughs> okay. So anyway, so in the second part of the Shema uh, is uh, actually Deuteronomy 11, beginning in verse 13. And it says that if you will indeed obey my commands that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And he will give you the rain of your land in its season, the early rain and the late rain. And that you will gather in your grain, your wine, and your oil. And he will give you the grass of your fields for your livestock. And you will eat and be full. Wow. Sounds pretty nice. Now, a lot of this didn't really resonate with me until I started trying to garden. Now, Greta will tell you, well, the reason that your gardens aren't very successful is because you don't follow my instructions. She wouldn't be wrong. <laughs> so, but there, nevertheless, there's a lot of toil involved, and um, I'm pretty sure if we were to do an ROI analysis, it wouldn't be very favorable. But um, so when you, when you come to actually trying to work the land, which most Americans, we, we're pretty spoiled. For us, working the land's going to Kroger. But uh, when you actually are trying to do that and you're putting the sweat and you're putting the labor and you have to work on it every day, your wife can't do it all, um, you're like, gosh, is it really worth all this? So the idea of, well, if I just obey God, he's going to really make this a lot easier on us, right? Sounds good to me. So that really resonated because it is difficult to get things to grow, especially if you don't know what you're doing. That makes it even worse. But he promised a land flowing with milk and honey. So what does that mean? Milk and honey, that sounds really weird. Or, or like in VeggieTales, they're like, they say it's flowing with milk and honey. Sounds sticky. 
So, uh, so it does sound really sticky and probably doesn't smell so good as it starts to curdle, you know? So what in the world does this mean? Well, I want to submit to you this. It's a land that nurtures everyone, especially the young and the infirm. And so I want you to think about that for a minute, especially if you are a student of history, you know uh, how non-Judeo-Christian cultures have worked and even still to this day work. The young, the infirm, and the elderly are really the least of their concerns. You guys are a drain on the system, so if the child doesn't appear that the child is vile, or vile, viable, thank you, there's a, there's a, a consonant I missed, um, viable, that they'll just discard the child. The Spartans were most known for that, God forbid, but they would actually just, okay, well, there's a, there's a defect, this one's not going to be a good warrior, and, and throw it off the side of the cliff. Um, you know, in, uh, in, in older Scotland, you know, prior to uh, the Renaissance, they, they would leave them out for the fairies to exchange, you know, and, and all kinds of just crazy stuff because all of these cultures didn't see it as a, as a good thing to tend to the infirm. It's a drain. The elderly, you'll respect them up to a point, but then it's time to discard them. They're a drain in society. The, the United Nations has a resolution that's for that very purpose, the euthanization of the elderly. We talked about last week, Canada's doing it. Um, it's, it's continuing to degrade. So then you see where God is telling the people, listen, even the land is going to take care of the young and the infirm. I am not their God. Now I don't want you to worship any of their gods because they're nothing like me. They have no values, no morals. They, they don't care about you. They want you to appease them. These gods that we have worshipped as a human race for the last five, 6,000 years, however long, they are superhuman with superhuman lust that can't be satisfied. You know, like they said in the movie Troy, uh, Hector, the character in the movie, he's like, yeah, well, the gods bless you in the morning and curse you in the afternoon. They're whimsical. This god is saying, Listen, I will take care of your young and your infirm. If you walk in my ways, even the land will. And what is the prophecy that we have in the, in the Messianic era? That the children will be able to play with vipers and they won't touch them. What is he saying? Even the land is going to take care of your little ones. So it nurtures everyone, even the young and the infirm. So this Torah portion kind of reminds me of some chances and some choices. Forty years before this parsha, we had a chance. Hashem had given us the land. All we had to do was take possession of it. And all of these messianic blessings that their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, their great-great-grandparents heard from our father Abraham... They were right there. And that's actually what Joshua and Caleb told that generation. Listen, it's right here. All we have to do is go, move. They were the generation that could have ushered it in. But they hesitated, made excuses. They were afraid. They refused to take action. So they could have had, just shortly after this, everyone under their own vine and fig tree like we see in Micah 4.4. 4. 
They could have had that huge fruit that they brought back to show them. Their homes would not have been defenseless when they go to the festivals. The shalosh regalim, the three feet. Because <laughs> that's what God promised them. He said, look, when you go to Jerusalem and you leave your homes, they won't be unprotected. No one's going to desire them. I'll see to that. I just want you to come spend some time with me. But don't worry about your kids. Don't worry about your livestock. Don't worry about your homes and your unwalled cities. I will protect it. The land of milk and honey was right there. But we hesitated, made excuses. We were afraid, and we refused to take action. So now here we are 40 years later. Now it's happening regardless. God has said, you are going in. He's directly involved. He's pushing us into the land. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy 9, Deuteronomy 9, 5. Not because of your righteousness or, your upri or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to, to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord your God is driving them out from before you, and that he will confirm the word that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. He's like, listen, you didn't, you didn't earn this. But I got to kick the other people out because their time's up. And I made a promise to your fathers. But the other generation had the opportunity to actually usher it in 40 years earlier. But now it has to happen. So I want to I share with you something based on that idea. The word ekev is spelled exactly the same as another word, akev. Akev means heal. So ekev means because, akev means heal. And, and not heal as in a dog, um, but, uh, but the heel of your foot. So the sages tell us that this is a reference to Messiah. So what does that have to do with this parasha? We're at the beginning of the story. Why are we talking about the Messianic era at the beginning of the story? So they call it the ikvata le meshicha, the heels of the Messiah, the footsteps of the Messiah. It's the ushering in of the Messianic era is what they mean when they use this term. So why? Well, think about this. Everything that we, that we read above, and of course there are a lot of others, are actually the core texts that are used to envision the Messianic era. And, and actually, if you've taken part in the Meal of Messiah at the end of Passover, you see that in the, in the Meal of Messiah Haggadah. It talks about all the grapes and, you know, the, there are these, this lore that's come out of it that one grape will say, pick me, I am better than the others. And it's like, what's the idea here? It's going to be so great, the land is going to produce so much that you have your choice of the best. God wants to bless us that way. So, but it's all based on these texts, these promises that were given to this generation and the generation before, if you will walk into the land and do what I say, you have these things now. It's, it's, like, it's almost like the Messianic era would have been right then if they had walked in it and taken the land. If, and then for this generation, if they had been obedient once they went in the land. These are the fulfillment of the promises that were given to that first generation had they obeyed. And the same for the second. 
had they obeyed once they went into the land. So I want to share this idea with you. I think we can be likened to that first generation that Moses led. If we'll take our tools, enter the white fields, and work for the kingdom with urgency and purpose, I truly believe that we could actually speed the coming of Messiah. We could be the generation that's given the choice to enter. Now, some of you might say, well, you can't speed God's timeline. Well, that's, a, in my opinion, a very finite way of thinking. Is God so small that he can't deal with mankind and how we interact with him? That's the difference between the finite and the infinite. We don't understand how that's possible. But I really, truly believe that we can speed the coming of Messiah. How? Well, here's the prime example we just read, the last two Torah portions, where Moses is saying, look, you guys had the opportunity right then. All you had to do was to ignore the ten spies, listen to the two, and let's go. Let's do this. God is with us. And so now what do we have in this portion? God is saying through Moses, I'm here. You don't have to do it on your own. I will go before you, but you are going. And so I think we had that opportunity. With this second generation, though, it's no, now is the time. The opportunity of speeding it up is not going to happen now. This is, the, this is the time. You are going. And I think we do. I really, truly believe that. And there are so many things that are hinted in various prophecies where if the believers of Messiah come together, get in those fields like our master told us to, I think the Messiah could come sooner. I really do. I believe that we have that choice if we as believers, but rather, if we as believers continue to choose poorly, only letting the small parts of the body do the work for the kingdom, then another generation will enter. And it won't be said that we were the generation of Achveta de Mishicha. We weren't the generation that saw the coming of Messiah. So what... So we can either work, we can, we can live up to the calling that we've been placed on this earth for, or we can complain. And, you know, being, being, uh, being Jewish, I, I know very much about complaining. I'm very good at it. It's too hard. It's too hot. It's too cold. Too many bugs. The field is too large. We will never get it done. What can I do? I'm too old. I'm too young. Too busy, too poor, too occupied with coming up with more twos. It's not my calling. Let someone else do it. Well, I've got news for you. You're in good company because Moses said a lot of that too. But there's a difference. After he got done with his excuses and God obliterated every one of them and his expressions of inadequacy... He did obey, and he became the greatest leader in history until Messiah, of course. Rabotai, my teachers, let's make the choice that Moses did. And the choice that the first generation failed to make, let's honor the call of our master. Let's usher in the coming of the Messiah by laboring in the fields of Hashem. And may we see the beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. And may our master find us in the field. Not complaining about how big the field is. We'll never get done. 
but seeing us with that sickle, not caring about how long it takes. Let's just do it. Shabbat shalom.